You're listening to Like Flint Radio, part of the Revelations Radio Network. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Like Flint Radio. This is GK. Um, and on the line with me, I have Graham Gould. G'day, Graham. How are you, mate? G'day, Garth. Doing well, thanks. That's good. Graham, I usually start out by saying um, I'm in my little bush hut atop the Great Dividing Range in eastern Australia because, as you know, I actually do live in the bush. But, Graham, you live um, well, and, well and truly in the outback. Would you mind um, telling our listeners a bit about a bit about you, a bit about where you live and a bit about what you do and um, maybe I'll ask you about opportunities for ministry because, um, Graham, you actually do live in the genuine outback. So over to you, mate. Yeah, I, I live in Kununurra. Um, if you want to look that up, that's K-U-N-U-N-U-R-R-A and it is in a lot of ways in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's a long way from from any uh, major centres. It's 800 kilometres to, to Darwin, which should be the, the next biggest place. Um, that's about 500 miles for those who use that system. Um, over 3,000 kilometres from the capital city of the state that I live in. Um, it's quite an enormous state. Um, if you think that um, Australia is about the same size as the continental US in area, um, but we have six states to their 48 for approximately the same area. So, you know, people talk about everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah, it's enormous in Australia in terms of uh, area. Um, and, you know, same things go with the cattle stations over here, ranches in the US, cattle stations over here, but they can be enormous. Um, and so just give us some idea. So you've said it's – how long would it take you to drive to the state capital then if you just got in your car and, and drove, like, properly, like, you know, taking good uh, stops along the way and um, what would it be? Yeah, if you pushed it, it would take about three days. Um, I have heard of people doing it in two, but um, I think, you know, you'd have to not sleep to accomplish that. Right. Um, but, yeah, you could take – easily take a week um, if you'd – Took it a bit steady. And, and is it true, um, Graham? Is it true, Graham, that you could fit the whole of Europe basically in Western Australia? Um, I don't know if you could fit the whole of Europe in Western Australia. Um, the shapes a bit different, but uh -huh. um, in terms of area, yeah, Europe's quite small, really, mm. and um, you've got a massive number of countries packed into uh, quite a small area. And I think even the tip of Italy all the way through the, to the top north, like you could go to the top of Denmark, that still wouldn't be anywhere close to, to how far I am from Perth. Mm. Um, it's just enormous. And, yeah. and people just really don't understand that. But there's a lot of stuff that you can look at on the net that gives you some idea of it. To Kununurra itself, now I've spoken to you a fair bit about um, living in, in the outback, Graham, it's often hard to, well, not impossible, but hard to get things you need like car parts and stuff, Graham. It's not as if you just go and, if you have a problem with your car, you go and pick a part off the shelf. It's not necessarily like that there, is it? No, it certainly isn't. There's a lot of things that you can't easily get here. Mm -hmm. um, and it takes a while to get things here, even just with the mail or, 
the post, some people might call it. Um, mm. Everything takes at least an extra day to get to Kununurra. Um, Australia Post have an overnight service, an express post service, um, which is next day delivery. Well, that doesn't apply to Kununurra. Right. It's the next day plus one, right, right. <laughs> at least. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, it can take weeks to get things here. Um, and, you know, there's people in other parts, parts of the world that experience that as well. But, yeah, in Australia, this is, this, we're definitely an example of one of the remote, most remote parts of Australia. Right. And, and um, as far as uh, opportunities for ministry in Kununurra, what, what happens there, Graham? Because you... I know that you do a fair bit of preaching at church, or you used to, um, but uh, what are opportunities for ministry in Kununurra? Um, yeah, well, Kununurra is blessed in a lot of ways because we do have a fair bit of ministry going on here. Um, there's at least eight churches that I would count that I would consider quite evangelical um, and foundationally biblical, and the gospel does get preached um, every Sunday, and it's it's very good to know that. And um, there's a, quite a high degree of unity, and there's some ministry that occurs out of that. Um, there's some ministry that occurs out of other organisations in town, but there's heaps more needs in town as well. And and Kununurra seems like a place where people have come to hide away from something. It often seems like there's people that have that have come here that. Um, some of them seem like they're running away from from something and you know it's it's a long way from everywhere as well and it seems like there's a, quite a few people here that are that are hiding from god <laughs> but um yeah they they might have picked the wrong town some in some ways um but yeah a lot of people you know they just live for for pleasure and it's a beautiful spot lovely fishing and and there's lots of um stuff that you can go out and see a lot of people living for the money. There's a lot of money to be earned here from mining and a few other things. Um, but there's also a, a high local indigenous population as well. And I think a lot of them struggle um, to cope, you know, with, with life the way it is. And um, in a lot of ways, it seems like, to me at least, that they've been dispossessed and, and don't see their place in the, in the world um, and struggle with alcohol and, and numerous other things. So there's, there are heaps of opportunity for ministry, but praise God there's also ministry happening here as well. Um, speaking of uh, ministry and those sorts of things, Graham, what have you got on your horizon for a... Um, you've got your own podcast show coming up, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. I've been working on this for a little while, inspired by Future Quake Southern Hemisphere, actually, and the, mm. and the work that you, Andy, and Cruzy, and, and Dee were doing um, mm. there. And, yeah, I've uh, I bought my own website, Hodos Radio. Hodos from the Greek word for way. Um, when Jesus said, I am the way, um, in Greek he was saying, I am ho Hodos, um, the way. Um, and it also refers to believers um, in Acts being people of the way. Um, so we want to emphasize, you know, we're going to be doing shows, interviewing people and, and trying to put out their God's word and, and teaching truths about um, relating back to Jesus Christ. Uh, the guests may come on and, and, you know, they can talk about whatever they want. I'll be looking for people that have got things that are useful to share with others. Um, but ultimately, we'll be relating it all back to Jesus Christ and, and particularly trying to build people up and share God's word and, and help people to to see that 
Alrighty, so we look forward to that. Alrighty, good to hear. Um, now, would you remember what uh, shows you did with us on um, Future Quake Southern Hemisphere, Graham? What what did we do? Show numbers so we can refer people back? From memory, uh, yeah, if you go back to Future Quake Southern Hemisphere, I think it was show 57 and 63 we did on Salvation. Okay. Um, I also hosted a show with Eliana on Creation 66. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay, so people can go back to um, Future Quake Southern Hemisphere and you can find those three shows if they like. But um, what are we going to be talking about today, Graham? Uh, in some ways, I suppose, we're revisiting some of the issues we looked at with the two Salvation shows. But mm -hmm. today we want to look at uh, holiness. Mm -hmm. um, God is holy. We want to look at sin um, and what that is and, and why it's important to talk about it and understand it. We're going to look at judgment, uh, God's natural response to sin, and also to justification, so the only solution um, to the sin problem and the wrath of God that we find ourselves in. Um, this uh, and, sounds pretty heavy duty. Are we going to uh, exit the building cheering at the end of this one? or? Well, yes. If, if we're prepared to submit to the truth of God's word, we will exit the building cheering. If we're not, we're could be very unhappy. <laughs> All righty. Okay, so what do you want to kick off with? Um, you give me a range of scriptures here. In fact, you and I have spoken um, a fair bit, but something we've never really talked about, because I, but one of my favorite scriptures you've um, picked to kick off with in Isaiah 6. I love uh, Isaiah chapter 6. And we could spend quite a bit of time here in Isaiah 6, but we want to focus primarily on the emphasis that is here on God's holiness. And there is a bit here that we'll go through pretty quickly. Um, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. So Isaiah has this vision, and the Lord's high and lifted up in his train, or I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I believe that it's probably his Shekinah glory, or uh, Isaiah has some sort of vision of the glory surrounding God. His train filled the temple. Um, we don't use that word too much today but that you think of it as a bride with her train following behind is the um the cloth that that falls down and trails behind so that's the the imagery that we're using there above him stood the seraphim each one had six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet with two he flew one called to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts or the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. So see here the connection between his glory, um, which I, I believe ties in with the train mentioned earlier, and that's his holiness. So the glory of God is his holiness, and this is three times holy, holy, holy. This is very important. Mm. Um, and I'll just quickly go to Isaiah's response, woe is me. That's the response of a humble, honest human being. Woe is me, I'm undone, a man of unclean lips, etc. And God then works with Isaiah and, and sorts that out. And I don't think we have this, well, is not the place to look at that. We want to emphasize the holiness of God here. And I think sometimes people get the idea that the love of God is his primary attribute. I'm, I believe that the Bible challenge that thinking. Um, you know, we've only got one verse that says God is love. Here we've got 
holy, 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 three times in one verse is the Lord of hosts, and numerous other verses that touch on this issue, and heaps that talk about love as well. But I do believe holiness is his primary attribute. Um, it's something that we need to greatly emphasize. In, um, do you think that that comes across the pulpit enough these days in the postmodern church, Graham? As a general rule in the West, absolutely not. Right. Um, it, it's nowhere that? near emphasized enough. I think for quite a while now, we've humanized the gospel, we've humanized Christianity, and it's about us. And it's not about God. He's not primary. Right. Um, we, and we've tried to soften it and make it more palatable to people, but really we're making it more palatable to their flesh, to their sin nature, um, instead of just glorifying God and emphasizing him, making him primary, and letting the Holy Spirit then deal with you know, the response to that. People don't like that. And, you know, it's it's hard to preach this message. Um when especially when you get blowback from people that, oh, you're you're so condemning, you're so so nasty. Well, that is what the flesh is going to think about it. Mm-hmm. But um it's the truth. Well, you know, as you pointed out in this, there's the contrast here. You see God is holy and then um, when Isaiah realizes what's going on here, he realizes, hey, woe is me, I'm ruined. He's, he's sort of realized how he's undone. And I think that's probably a, um, a good response for one to have when they realize the holiness of God. But um, as you pointed out before, God does deal with this. So this is not just about condemnation, but it's about um, having an understanding of who God is, correct? Yeah, and as we go into this, we're going to look at sin and what it mm. is, and we're going to look at judgment, and, and we can't but come to the conclusion. God is holy. He has to be holy. He has to be perfect. He has to judge sin. It, he cannot but do that. That that has to be his response. You know, if we're even using half of our brain and have our half heart, our heart half with God, we have to realize this is this is the way it has to be. Um, and, you know, I hope that, that we get to that point where we fully realize God is holy, all glory to God. I am a, a vile, sinful wretch compared to the holiness of God. We may not see ourselves that way compared to others. We may think we're okay, but that's not the standard. God is the standard. He's the creator. He's the center. He's the source of all things. So we've got to look to him for everything, and he is holy, and he hates sin, and he must judge sin and that message needs to be preached in our pulpits it needs to be lived in our lives it needs to be spoken of to sinners not in a condemning way but in a way that points to god and enlivens the conscience and does annoy the flesh but we're not speaking to the flesh we need to speak to the conscience and allow the holy spirit to work in people's lives what do we see in the New Testament to do with this idea of this holiness of God? Yeah, and interesting point that you raise that the New Testament and the Old Testament work together. People often have the idea, and I was just listening to a comedian recently who condemned the Old Testament God as, as nasty, and it's the same God. And so there's no disconnect between the Old and the New Testament. They're one and the same, and, and this is proven by we can turn straight to the New Testament, or, or Revelation 4, 8, and see the same thing said. <laughs> you know, it's not the, the holy, wrathful God of the Old Testament, and now we live in the age of, of love and, and puppies and pancakes, dare I say, um, and it's all, you know, peace, joy, and love. 
<laughs> well, not in the way that people think of it today. You know, people have this, I oh, don't harsh my mellow um, type of idea of um, what love is. Well, sin must be condemned, and love, joy, and peace comes from our sin being taken care of. We're going to look at that more as we get into this, but let's look at Revelation 4.8. John, once again, this is a vision he's, he's seeing into heaven, um, and he sees the four living creatures, or the four beasts, each one of them having six wings. Once again, you know, immediately in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is, this is Isaiah 6, six mm -hmm. wings, each mm -hmm. of them are full of eyes around and within. They have no rest day or night saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which is pretty much word for word, Isaiah 6 again, who was and who is and who is to come. He's eternal. He's always been. He you know, he's the ever-present now, and he always will be. Um, he's the God who reigns over all. But once again, this this triple affirmation of the core characteristic of God, of holiness. Holy, holy, holy. And and this is the glory that's going to God around the throne. You can read this whole chapter of, of Revelation 4. It just soars. It's It's majestic. Um, the glory of God just is is preeminent through this chapter, and that's what heaven will be like. The holiness of God will be emphasized. Um, and we turn to his love so that we can become holy. We need to acknowledge, first of all, that we're not, and in humility, throw ourselves on his mercy. And the other thing that we want to look at with holiness, well, what is it? What, do, what does it mean? Well, we've sort of hinted at it already. He's separate from sin. He's perfect. He, he has nothing to do with anything that darkness, the Bible talks about as well um, in James, that there is not even the shadow of turning with God. He's the father of lights. Um, so there's that aspect to holiness. But once again, I'll emphasize that aspect of separateness, that he's different, that he's set apart from and, and is preeminent over the creation. We are the created. He is the creator. And I believe that's contained in holiness as well, is this idea of separateness, um, separate from sin, but also separate from the creation to a degree, like he's involved with the creation, but he's also preeminent over the creation. We don't believe the New Age or the Hindu idea that the creation is the creator. We reject that. The creator is eternal, and the creation is created. It started in time. Um, one day God will wrap all things up. So there's this idea in holiness as well of separateness. And that's what God calls us to. Um, in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, Come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. He says, Can light have any communion or any fellowship with, with darkness or Christ with Belial or Belial? They're, they're polar opposites. There's, there's a separateness in our world, and oftentimes people want to um, talk about unity at the expense of holiness and what's right and what's wrong. So, Graham, what is this? Who is Belial that we're talking about here? Oh, I believe that would be Satan. Um, okay, all right. Yes. All right. Um, so, yeah, God's calling us to, to separateness, and... We may study this a little bit more when we get to sin, 
and, and justification. But God calls us to repentance. Um, we need to turn away. And, and the literal idea, the Greek word for repentance, is to turn around, change of mind. But it also has the idea of turning around, to turn our back on the things of the world and the things of our sinful past. And we want to head in a new direction. Of course, that has to be tied with faith. We cannot do that in ourselves. But it's a decision that we make, which is what faith is. It's a decision that we, I'm going to follow God now. I'm going to turn my back on those things. So faith and repentance are two sides of this one coin. And it, it, we must understand that this comes back to God holiness and that we are not holy. And this is all tied in with this idea of separation. Um, the Holy Spirit, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And um, John 16 talks about this this whole chapter, and there's other chapters. Jesus is saying there's a comforter coming or, a, or an advocate. Um, he's going to um, take my place. He will be another comforter. And I believe the Greek word for another there means one of the same, not one different. Um, so another comforter will come, and he will speak of sin, righteousness, and judgment in John 16, 8, of sin because you do not believe. We're going to be looking at sin very closely shortly, but sin is tied with not believing, and that's the Holy Spirit's work is to turn us back to God. In Romans 3, can we, can we have a quick look at that? Absolutely, um, and... Paul starts Romans with saying that he's not ashamed of the gospel of, of Christ. In Romans 16, he, he does his introductions, but he wants to give them the gospel. And Romans lays out very clearly, very methodically, the doctrine that Paul preaches. And he spends, he's very careful, and he, and he lays it down line by line, precept by precept, um, I believe. But he starts off with saying the whole world lieth in darkness. We're all under condemnation. And he starts off by saying the Gentiles do not obey the law. They don't even know the law except the law that's written in their hearts. But their consciences are hardened. But then he, he says to the Jews the same thing. You guys have got the law, but you don't obey the law either. You think that you do, but that you disobey it in this way and this way. You, you tell lies. You disrespect. Um, and so you disrespect the law as well. You disobey the law. And so you actually stand in greater condemnation because you have the law but disobey it, whereas they don't even have the law. So they're condemned, but you are condemned more harshly. And by the time he gets to chapter 3, he's saying, everyone, there is none righteous in um, Romans 3.10. No one is righteous. Not even one person is righteous. And he continues on and says, no one seeks after God. They're their mouths are an open sepulchre that, you know, that's that's a tomb. That's dead men's bones are, are buried in it. So it's it's um, rotten. Uh, it stinks. That's that's how we speak as human beings. And you can see that all around you all the time. Now, not everything that everyone says is perfect wickedness. But scripture tells us that if you have wickedness, then it corrupts all the goodness. James tells us that um, if you fail to obey the law in just one point, you're guilty of the whole law. 
Um, but he, going back to Romans 3, their feet are swift to shed blood. And he's quoting a lot from the Old Testament here. He's quoted, quoting numerous psalms. And um, it's an excellent passage to understand how evil we truly are. Um, we don't see ourselves as evil. We see ourselves as good, but that's because our standard is human. But we need to see ourselves the way that God does. Um, and he ends up in verse 18 by saying there is no fear of God before their eyes. And there's lot in the middle of there. And then he starts to come to talk about what the solution is. That um, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in verse 24, he's saying being justified freely by his grace. So God offers a way out. He offers a solution to this problem that we find ourselves in. We're condemned by his law. His holiness looks at our sinfulness and he must judge. And so we stand condemned as sinners before God, but he does offer a way out, which we are going to investigate more closely later in this show. Too many people have a self-righteous idea about who they are, and Paul was one of these before he became a Christian. He was known as Saul. He was a Pharisee. In Philippians 3, he talks about this and he says, I considered the law my justification, but now I see that it does nothing for me. The law can only condemn, he tells us in other places, Galatians, that's the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It instructs us to help us to see we, Jesus Christ, because only he is perfect. We're not perfect. We're condemned before God. Um, and he says, now I count all those things as dung. They're rubbish. They're manure. They mean nothing before God. Only God and his righteousness is what I look at. What I was going to say to you, and um, before we move on to this idea of sin, because really um, we're looking at this topic of holiness and that, but I think one of the mistakes in the postmodern church that a lot of um, preachers make, and, and not just the preachers in the pulpit, but um, when they talk about this idea of that um, we're all the apples, apple of God's eye, God is love, God loves us, and not that that's all lies, not that that's lies, but they don't discern or make a distinction, it seems to me, between believers and unbelievers. So you may have an unbeliever sitting in the pew being told that they're the apple of God's eye, and um, this idea of holiness is never mentioned, and they may leave that that church or that, that place thinking, oh, I'm okay, everything's cool because God is love, God loves me, I'm the apple of his eye. And I think the, um, the preacher has done a disservice by not discerning between believers and unbelievers, that that being, say, one point, also not explaining the difference between uh, who we are in ourselves and who God is being the holy God. What do you think, what do you think about that? See, I do have a great concern for unbelievers in the postmodern church. Um, I think many of them sit alongside us in the pews and they, they don't have an idea about the rest of the Bible because they're not told. One of the things that we need to understand is that the devil loves to tell partial truths. He loves to mm. leave out bits that give us a wrong impression about what the truth is. Mm. And, and oftentimes the most successful lies are not completely outright 100% untrue. Yeah. They're partially true. 
That's right. And we see this in politics and numerous other areas all the time. But the devil's the past master of this. He's the father of lies. And so his best trick is to get you to believe part of the truth. And then you can go, yeah, but God's word says, but you don't understand what it means because you're not reading it in context. You, you're not seeing the whole counsel of God, um, which is a very important point. You need to understand um, how things fit together. And, and this is why we need to emphasize the holiness of God, because it's where everything starts. If we start with man, it's very easy to preach this man-centered gospel of, you're okay, God loves you, um, he wants only the best for your life, and if you trust him, he, he'll just pour out his blessings on you. You just, you just need to, to ask him, and he wants to do that. And you haven't talked about sin. You haven't talked about God's holiness. You haven't talked about his law. You haven't brought people to a place of, of repentance and humility before him. And, and that's just so important. Well, to... I would argue also some people would say, why do I need God then? If he already loves me um, and, and everything's cool, he wants to pour out his blessings on me, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to make any changes in my life. I can just go along and do whatever I want to do. Um, see, because the thing is, I think we need to point out here, as you and I have discussed earlier, Graham, we are not holding ourselves up as, um, you know, the paragons of virtue. We're not saying we know it all. We're not saying that we're, we're holy or anything in any way, shape or form. But the reason we're having this discussion is, I, well, for me anyway, is for this very reason that I think a lot of unbelievers are sitting in pews thinking they're saved. And I, I just feel so sorry for them when they haven't heard the truth. It's the fact that the reason they need a saviour, right, is not only because God loves them. They need a saviour because they're sinners and they're separate from God. Absolutely. And I echo the words of Paul, Romans 7, that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. I've got nothing except Jesus Christ. The only thing that I have to offer, the only righteousness I have is Jesus Christ. I can't set myself up as anything. The only thing I can do, and, and I hope that I'm doing this in this um, broadcast, is to offer myself to God, to speak through me so that people can hear his truth, to point people to God. And, and I hope that every listener is, is seeing that. See God, don't listen to me. Don't look at Graham Gould's. I'm nothing. I have nothing except Jesus Christ. He's all I have to offer you. There is nothing else, not even crystal chandeliers. Um, <laughs> it's, it's all God. It's all him. And I hope people hear that. And it's not the God, the kindly, uh, you know, Santa Claus who's all benevolent and sits up in heaven. And it's a very deistic idea of God, quite frankly, that um, I think it was a Bette Midler song, was it, that... Um, God's far off, but he's watching over us, and, mm. you know, it's all sunshine and roses, and, mm. no, 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 there's this sin problem that needs to be dealt with. Look around you. There's sin everywhere, and if you're honest with yourself, that sin lies in you. You are a sinner. You've told lies. Well, I think you'd agree if you and I got what we deserved, Graham, it would be, you know, hell on the lake of fire. If that's what, If we got what we honestly deserved, that would be it. People often say, I want God to be fair. No, you don't want God to be fair. You don't. Mm. You want his mercy. Mm. If he was fair to you, we would all be in hell. Indeed. Because we have sinned against God, we rebelled against him, we shake our fist in his face, maybe not um, in you know deliberate ways, 
but in ways in which we just serve ourselves and we pretend that he doesn't even exist and we make our lives all about us. This is pretty heavy duty, but let's define sin, Graham. Can you give us a definition so we know what we're talking about? Well, we've there's a few verses that add to our understanding. I think, you know, hopefully people have got some understanding of sin, but we've got verses like 1 John 3, 4 that says, yeah. sin is the transgression of the law. And the word there in the Greek is anomia. It's no law. It's rejection of the law. Um, and it's translated in some versions as lawlessness. Acting as though law, God's law does not exist and you create your own law instead. So that's sin. That's one definition of sin. Um, we've already seen that sin is not believing in God which ties in. If you don't believe in God, well, then you're going to reject his law. That just so, happens naturally. So is John here talking about the law of Moses as per the Old Testament, or is he talking about something else? Because I've got a feeling that um, it's a bit more than that. Um, yes, so it's not that we have to follow the law of Moses, because Jesus has come and, and fulfilled that. Mm -hmm. And it would be blasphemy to then say, oh, we have to follow the law of Moses, because mm. that includes sacrifices. Mm. It includes the killing of animals and shedding their blood. And Jesus Christ was once offered for all. Um, he shed his blood. Jesus actually said to his disciples, a new law, a new commandment I give to you, which is actually not new, but that you love one another. And in verses in Second um, John, the epistle of Second John, he says that law is love and love is law. They're one and the same. Um, Jesus was asked, um, what is the greatest commandment? And he said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind. And I think that's a very important one. Don't forget mind. This is not disconnected from our intelligence. It is connected right in with our intelligence. It's not blind faith and our strength. And he said the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the, the point that Second John makes, is that the whole law can be summed up by love. It's loving God and it's loving one another. And to love is to obey the law. And I would say here, not the law of Moses, although there are things that we can learn from the law of Moses that it should be teaching us, mm, but yeah. it's, it, it's what we see of the character of God. God's law represents his character, who he is, what's right and wrong is defined by God's nature. They're not just arbitrary dictates from... I'll just pluck this out of the air and you've got to do this and you've got to do that for no reason. No, it's what's right. It's what's loving. And it's very important to see how that applies together. Law is love and love is law. And it's the law of Jesus Christ that we live under nowadays, not the law of Moses. Um, it's the perfection of who God is. Okay, so um, then it's sort of what I was hinting at earlier then that um, 1 John 3, 4 isn't just about the law of Moses, it's actually transgressing the law of love then. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so we can see sin, there's actually three ideas behind sin. Is that idea of rebellion against the law, of of um, of trying to stray from the law, not keep the law. Um, but there's also the idea of straying off the path as well. So you're walking along, but you're not keeping to the path. You're wandering away into other places. Pilgrim's Progress has a beautiful illustration of this, where 
just over the fence. It's a beautiful meadow and it's nice and green and the path's a bit rocky and it's hard to walk on and it's so much easier to walk over the fence. But the longer that he's over the fence, the further and further away that he's getting and it happens slowly. Um, so it may not seem like a big thing, but Jesus says that to his way, in Matthew 7, uh, it talks about the way of Jesus being tight and constricted. The King James uses the word straight, but it doesn't mean straight by what we mean today, that it hasn't got twists and turns, and, and uh, it means constricted, it means narrow. Um, and that's what Jesus calls not only the way, the door to get in is, is restricted and narrow. It takes humility. Very few people are prepared to humble themselves before God. Very few people will get onto the path, and very few people are able to stay on the path. Um, it is a very difficult, it is narrow um, and we often stray off it. Thank goodness First John 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Note how unrighteousness, not being right with God, and, and righteousness ties in with his holiness, is connected there to sin. Unrighteousness is sin. Um, one other uh, definition that we have for sin, or one other idea that's hiding behind the Greek word for sin or transgression or iniquity or lawlessness or so forth. These all tie together, and it's the idea of falling short of the mark. We already saw that in, in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short. We don't hit the target. So here we're getting imagery from, from archery or um, from pistolry or whatever, that you try to hit the target, you try to hit dead center, that little dot middle, that's what you want to hit. That's perfection. That's what God requires. And we miss the mark. We don't reach it. We haven't got enough energy to get all of that way, if you think, with an, with an arrow. The target's too far away for us to reach, and we will always fall short. We'll have a good go. Most of us will try. But Isaiah 64.6 says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, before God because they fall short they look good to us on the outside it looks fairly white but underneath is all of this filth um, so this is the idea of sin and one last thing that James 4.17 tells us is that he who knows to do good and does not do it to him it is sin so sin's not just doing wrong it's not just doing the wrong thing it's failing to do what is good now, how many of us can say that we do all of the good that we know how to do? We stand condemned before God. We fall so far short of what is perfection. And this is hard to hear. We don't like thinking about this. But we need to understand this is truth. And if we have a heart for God, we'll go, yeah, that isn't, that isn't nice to hear, but I accept that that is my flesh. That is who I am naturally. That is, that is who I was born as a child of Adam. That was what I was born with. That's why I need to be born again. I need God to intervene here. Um, but before we talk about that intervention, we do need to talk about the judgment of God. Sin is so serious. And so we move now into our third point. John 3.16 
In John 3, a religious man, um, one of the Sanhedrin, he was a Pharisee, he comes to Jesus and he says, we know you're a teacher sent from God. And, and Jesus instantly replies to him, you must be born again. You stand condemned by your own law and you don't even see it. You must be redeemed by God. He must supernaturally work in your life to redeem you. And Nicodemus doesn't understand and they have a bit of a conversation and Jesus throws the illustration of the, the brass serpent up on the pole and and Nicodemus would have known this, the history of, of Israel. They were wandering in the wilderness and they were grumbling against God and God sent serpents to bite and, and they were dying. And God said to Moses, build this brass serpent up on a pole and if the people look to it, they will be rescued. And Jesus says, that's me, the Son of Man came to earth to do that. I will be lifted up and if people looked to me, they will be rescued from the, the snakes, the serpents of sin that are within our hearts, that are in our world all around us, that the devil tries to destroy us with. And he goes on and he says, For God so loved the world, he so greatly loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he goes on and says, and most people don't see that these verses follow. There's two more verses that we want to emphasize right now. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that does not believe, verse 18 tells us, is condemned already. Jesus didn't need to come to condemn the world. We're already condemned. We already had the law of Moses. We already have the law of God written in our hearts. Our conscience already condemns us. We already know right and wrong. So, Graham, this would deal with the idea of um, universal salvation then, this verse here. Absolutely, yes. We stand condemned before God, and only those who are trusting Jesus Christ can be redeemed. Only those who are trusting Jesus Christ are rescued from destruction, from eternal damnation. And this is harsh stuff. This is nasty. This, is, this sounds so mean, but it's the truth. And the glimmer of hope here is Jesus Christ. Turn to him. That's God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son because we stand condemned already. That's why Jesus came. In Hebrews 12, um, earlier in the chapter, verse 14, it talks about pursue holiness or follow after holiness. That's how important it is to God. And all the way from that verse 14 through to verse 29, he develops this theme connecting holiness. Because God is holy, we are sinners. We stand condemned. Then he finishes up the chapter in verse 29 by saying, for our God is a consuming fire. And the, and the illustration going on here is the children of Israel standing at Mount Sinai. God gives the law to Moses. And the, the whole mountain was trembling and quaking with fire and smoke was billowing out. And the people were afraid. They were scared of God. But unfortunately, they didn't have the fear of God that Proverbs talks about. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. They were afraid and wanted to run away. The fear of God we need to have is humility before God. God is just and holy, and he's right. They wanted to run away from God's justice. We need to throw ourselves on our face 
and plead his mercy because he is just. That's the fear of God we need to have because our God is a consuming fire and that fire will consume and destroy sin. So throw yourself on his mercy, which I think we should go to now is justification. God wants to rescue us. And and he's provided the way of Jesus Christ, as we've mentioned so many times already. And let's go back to Romans 3. In Romans 3, we have this big, long discourse. And I'll actually read out the whole passage again. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, in Romans 3.10. And we continue on. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throat and tomb with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of vipers is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever things the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be brought under the judgment of God, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. You cannot obey the law. None of us can. We can try, but it doesn't help you because you still fail. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been revealed, being testified by the law and the prophets. This was, this was promised in the Old Testament. Right, this is not some new astounding thing. Eve knew about it. God told her that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. All this imagery ties together. The serpent representing Satan and sin. And the seed of the woman, individual seed, and not seed of the man, seed of the woman. She was virgin born. She conceived a child through the Holy Spirit who was the Son of God. This was told in um, Genesis 3.15, just after Adam and Eve had sinned. Mankind's fallen. And all the way through the Old Testament, we keep getting given these promises of the Messiah, the one from God, the prophet who would be like, like Moses. He would be greater than Solomon all the way through the Old Testament, being testified by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ The righteousness of God is offered to us through faith in Jesus Christ because he is God, therefore he is the righteousness of God. Trust him and you have the righteousness of God. And the verse goes on to say, to all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need this, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We all stand... The ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's no kings or queens. There's no wealthy. There's no poor. There's no slave nor free. There's no male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. If you come to the cross, throw yourself on his mercy. Verse 25, whom God set forth to be an atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. He was the lamb that was offered up. His blood was shed. He stood in our place. Through faith in his blood, his blood shed for us, symbolizing his life, his righteousness even. 
for a demonstration of his righteousness because in God's forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time so that he would be just. See, we can't reduce God's holiness. We can't. God can't be a judge who stands there and you come condemned before him and he goes, oh, that's okay. I'm going to love. We have this idea of love being we'll forget about the things that were done wrong and just let the person go. No, his justice must be assuaged. We would not consider someone to be a good judge. They could not possibly be good if they ignored what was evil. That evil must be taken care of, and it was, because someone else stepped in and said, I'll pay their fine. Jesus Christ took the wrath of God in our place. And so God's justice, he's proved to be just because his wrath has been taken care of, and we can be set free by trusting in Jesus Christ who took our place. And he finishes verse 26, and the justifier of him who has faith in Christ. And so we wrap this up. This is where the justification of, of God is. We come full circle. He's holy. We are sinners. We stand condemned before him, but we can be justified because God is also love. And he's demonstrated his love by putting Jesus Christ in our place. He the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ. So as, as simply as you can put it, if you don't mind, Graham, how do we find salvation? How do we get saved? How do we escape this judgment that we've been talking about? First of all, we need to acknowledge that we're under judgment. This is the problem. You cannot preach a gospel where you start with, Jesus died for you, God loves you. That's That does no good. We need to start with, God is holy. He hates sin. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen something? And, and I'm not trying to condemn you. I just tell you what God's word has to say. That he hates sin. And all of us stand condemned before him. Then, when the person's aware that they need salvation, they need rescuing, that the wrath of God hangs over them, then we can point them to Jesus Christ. Trust him. Trust him. He took your place. Say to God, I'm sorry. And, and that's, that's repentance. I'm sorry for this sin. I'm sorry for this life that I've been living. I'm sorry for my rebellion, my ignorance of you. I turn from those things to you. I trust Jesus Christ. I throw myself on your mercy. Please save me. Please save me. I plead your grace. And that's that's what we come. We can we can do it much more simply than that, even. Uh, um, but it's like a child. It's like a child that's been caught and they acknowledge that they've done the wrong thing, and they say, "Please forgive me." And instead of being punished, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ has already been punished in our place. But we must have that humility before God. We must come with contrition, the Bible calls it, a penitent heart, and acknowledging that we can do nothing. Um, we have this idea that penitence has, there's these things that you need to do. No, there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. Throw yourself on the mercy of God. 
and he is merciful to the humble. So one is um, saved by God's grace through their faith. That's it. And Ephesians 2, <laughs> I love this verse. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 um, I think every time that I've I've talked to you, <laughs> I've mentioned this. Mm-hmm. Ephesians two eight and nine. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, mm-hmm. and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it, and I easily jump to Titus three five as well because it says a similar by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy. He saves by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. It's his work. He, he does it in us. All we have to do is let go, give over to God, submit to him. There's nothing else you can do except plead his mercy. Well, I, I think um, I think that was a, a, a very good um, run through and an overview um, of the essentials, Graham. And I really want to finish on Titus 3.5. I'm glad you've gone there because that's the one... Uh, I've got my Bible open here at the moment because it's um, it's God that does the saving. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, so it's all about him, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And we mustn't, must never forget the Holy Spirit. So um, any other final thoughts, Graham? Yeah, I'd like to finish with two more verses. 2 Corinthians 5 21 says he and that's referring to God um, has made him who knew no sin that's Jesus to be sin for us to be sin on our behalf he stood in our place now some people say that this means Jesus became sinful no he took our sin on himself this can actually mean that he became the sin sacrifice for us it's the same word the sin offering is the same word so it's it's not correct to believe that Jesus became sin, sinful. He couldn't. He was God. He couldn't stop being God. He's eternally holy and God. But he took our sin on himself, and all the wrath of God was poured out on him as we've already sinned, so that in him we might be, become the righteousness of God. And what I want us to see here is the divine transaction that took place. He took our sin, we get his righteousness. So when God saw Jesus Christ on that cross, he saw us in our sin and poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ. If we by faith have trusted Jesus Christ, when God looks at us from now on, he sees Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And that that's astounding. That's an incredible thing. And I pray that every person listening to this trusts Jesus Christ because there is no other way. Without this, you stand condemned before God and will spend eternity under his wrath. But if you trust Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity with him, redeemed. And just another verse, second, or was it first Peter? First Peter, first Peter 2. And the last verse there says a very similar thing, or second last, sorry, 24. Who his own self, referring to Jesus, who his own self bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, having died to sins by faith and repentance, that's how we do that. If we've died to our sins and are trusting Jesus Christ, then we've left that life behind and, and we're given ourselves completely over him. 
we can live then to righteousness. And it says, by his stripes you were healed. The whipping that was done to Jesus Christ heals in what way? Physically? No, of course. Peter's talking here about spiritually healed. We stand under the condemnation of God. We, we have the disease of sin in our soul and our spirit. And we can be healed from that because of Jesus Christ, by faith in him. It's God's grace poured out on us. And I hope as we've looked at this, this whole theme of the holiness of God and our sinfulness and, our, and God's judgment on us, that we can be justified. And God wants to. He wants to restore. He wants to bring us back to peace, which we've haven't really looked at, but it's come up a couple of times in our verses. Reconciliation with God. that The war has ended between us and God. We're no longer in rebellion against him. All of his armies and his, his wrath, his, his judgment is no longer to be poured out on us because we are in Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful truth. Um, so this reconciliation you're talking about, did you... Um, have Second Corinthians chapter five in in mind. Um, that that is one place that talks about it. That um, can, you can, I, can go I just all... read that out? Um, yes. Um, uh, verse eighteen, because I'm thinking that's what you 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 were based on. Maybe you've got others. Um, and by the way, if you notice, I um, I said we'll wrap wrap up on the Titus verse, but here we are. We're continuing. So Second Corinthians five verse eighteen. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's another one of my favorite verses. I love that one, Graham. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it continues into 19, but it's all built on the back of, you can even go back to verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, so there's a judgment even on those who do follow Christ. We're going to be judged for our deeds, our works as Christians. Um, but in verse 11, he goes on and says, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, what's the fear of the Lord? It's the fear of the Lord, the judgment that we're going to come under. Well, partly, but I think also we need to see here the fear of the Lord is the judgment that they're under, which is a much greater judgment. So we need to, we need to understand that We've got this ministry of reconciliation. Christ has died, verse 14, for the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. We need to get this message out that you can join us. We've, we've seen the truth. We've come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're no longer under this condemnation. And we didn't get to Romans um, 5, 1. All the way through Romans 4, he uses Abraham as this illustration that by faith he believed God and he was justified in God's sight because of his faith. In Romans 5, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Actually, I think that's Romans 8. But Romans 5 says a similar thing being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're reconciled with God. We've got to this place of justification and reconciliation. And we've now been given this ministry, this message to get out and tell other people, God's judgment sits on you. He's a holy God and he hates the sin that's in our lives. Come to Jesus Christ and know peace with God. Know the joy that there is in being a Christian. And I, I, I chucked off at the peace, joy, love message before because it's so often overused and abused. 
to, to, to speak to the flesh and to try to promise the flesh something. No, first of all, we need to humble the flesh with the law of God and then speak to the spirit the love, joy, and peace that the spirit understands because the flesh will misunderstand this message. But we need to get this message of reconciliation out, that God's judgment lies on the whole world. We stand condemned before God. Then he goes on and says in verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And we already saw in John 3, Jesus didn't come to condemn this world. He came to save it. That's what Christ was walking this earth for. That's why he died. That was the message that he left behind. You're already condemned. I want to reconcile you. I want to bring you back. I want to provide you with peace, not counting their trespasses against them. Lord, don't count these sins against their charge. I think something similar to what Stephen said when he died. Jesus said the same thing. Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing as he was being crucified. Don't count these sins against them. See me in the place that I've taken and hopefully they'll believe in me and so their sins won't be counted against them. So what do you say to someone who's um, not a believer and is listening to this right now, Graham? Trust Jesus Christ. Realize that you stand condemned before God and, and your future is eternal condemnation in the lake of fire. That God can have no part of you. And while you are here walk, walking on this earth, there is hope for you. While there is life, there is hope. Trust Jesus Christ now, today. That's all you promised. You don't know what's going to happen t tonight. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You have no, no time. But now, that's all that you've been given. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Trust him right now. And I, I, I hope that the person listening to this who does not know Jesus Christ hears this message. You've lied. You've stolen. You've committed adultery in your heart. You've lusted. Jesus says that's, that's committing adultery in your heart. Even though you may not have committed the act, and, and many have, they've fornicated. They've blasphemed. They've used God's name as though it's, it means nothing as a curse word. You've sinned before God. And these are just four of the Ten Commandments. There's many more. You stand condemned before God, but Jesus Christ took your place. Trust him. Plead to God for mercy. Trust his grace. By faith, come to Jesus Christ and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Get rid of your proud pride. Get rid of your arrogance. Get rid of anything of self. Stop looking to you. See the holiness of God as Isaiah did, high and lifted up in his train filling the temple and the angels, the seraphim, crying out, holy, holy, holy. And as Isaiah did, cry out, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And God will you. He will, he will rescue you. He will justify you. He will cleanse you. He will save you. But you must throw yourself on his mercy. You must come humbly before him and acknowledge that he alone is God. He is holy. He's the creator. He is Lord of all. He is almighty God. And I would add to that, you know, just to add to that, I would say take the opportunity to stand justified by faith, by the faith in the, the works of Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross, and um, take that opportunity and do it, do it as soon as possible. Don't delay. As Graham said, now's the day of salvation. 
All righty. Well, thanks for your time, Graham. We'll leave it there, and um, we'll certainly look forward to seeing Hot Oss Radio up and running and look forward to having you back on Like Flint Radio at least sometime in the future. So thanks a lot, and God bless. Thanks, Garth, and uh, I value people's prayers as well. We're trying to buy a house and start a new area of our life, which I hope will lead to more ministry opportunities as well. So value people's prayers in that area as well. Alrighty, well thanks for your time mate. Bye bye now. Thanks Garth. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed our show. You can find us on the web at www.lightflintradio.com If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at mail at lightflintradio.com That's M-A-I-L at lightflintradio.com. 